Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Light Up the Darkness podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Edwards. In full transparency, I just wanted you all to know that many of my episodes had been recorded prior to a lot of the things that have come to light regarding George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the brutal killing of black people that continues to happen at the hands of the police in this country. So I felt it of the utmost importance to pull this episode together to contribute whatever I could to the cause and to also provide a sense of hope and potential healing for my community, for us, So in today's episode, we're discussing moving through racial trauma with my amazing guests, Naila Warren and Therese Kemp, both licensed mental health professionals, and they're dropping gem after gem in this episode. All right, let's get into it, guys. Welcome to Light Up the Darkness, Naila Warren and Therese Kemp. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Um, Thank you. I'm so excited. Me too. Um, Today we're going to talk a little bit about trauma. Uh, It's not really, it sounds crazy to say I'm excited to talk about it, but I'm I'm really excited to hear both of your perspectives um, and your expertise on trauma and healing. Um, So I I would like to begin by asking you both to give me a little bit of background about your experience and your therapeutic style. So would you like to begin, Naila? Sure. So my name is Nayela Warren, or Nye for short, usually. And I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, And being from Brooklyn, I think it taught me a lot about the grit that you need to sort of survive. And it also gave me a a strong sense of um, how important it is to also laugh and have humor in life and kindness in life. Um, And so I really brought that into my therapeutic style. And by training, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. So that would be LMFT. Um, And in my therapeutic style, I like to be really conversational. I like to take a very, really empowering approach, very nurturing approach. Um, But I also really usually just heavily focus on spirituality in the way that um, I like to process things with my clients. And my clients tend to come to me because they are looking for Um, a spiritual perspective um, because they already move and operate from a spiritual perspective as well. Uh, Therese, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, So my name is Therese Kempf. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, so an LCSW. Um, I am a trauma therapist and a couples therapist. Those are my specialties. I started working in trauma about 10 years ago um, with torture survivors, with asylum seekers who were survivors of uh, war and torture. And then I kind of moved on to work in interpersonal violence at a crime victims agency, and um, which I'm still, which I still work at as a supervisor. And yeah, I mean, privately, I primarily seeing, um, I am seeing folks of color. I, I, I see a lot of women of color. Um, so I'm dealing with Trauma in the sense of interpersonal violence, um, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, et cetera. Um, Also dealing with racism as trauma and collective trauma. And then um, with my couples, I, yeah, same thing. I have a lot of um, mixed race couples and a lot of folks where one or both have a trauma history and just to see how that impacts um, 
impacts their relationship in the here and now. And as far as like my practice beyond my specialties, I'm really a body-based therapist. So um, I do sensory motor psychotherapy, which essentially is a treatment that um, it's a framework that really uses the body as the main source of information as well as the main source of healing. So um, I kind of integrated in the work I already do, and, and that involves like a lot of body scans, a lot of meditation, um, and a lot of just using kind of like cutting the cutting through the cognitive the cognitive aspect of our experience and really using the body as a main source of information about our sensations as well as a main source to process trauma. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. So trauma, we're talking about trauma today, collective trauma in the black community. Um, I, I want to begin by defining trauma. I personally um, have struggled with wondering what what is trauma specifically? Like, how do we um, know that we're experience, experiencing trauma? Can, um, can you speak to that? Ooh, um, you know, when I, when I think about trauma, um, and there is tons of, obviously, like Webster's Dictionary versions of it, but I like to think of it as in juxtaposition to the way that medicine thinks about trauma, you know, in medicine, they think about trauma as a physical injury, right? And in mental health, we think about trauma as an emotional in injury that has been caused by a gamut of experiences that can be caused by a gamut of experiences, whether that is a physical in, uh, injury, whether that is um, emotional abuse, whether that is systems such as racism, um, thinking about it as anything that causes a, sort of an emotional wound in that way um, from experiences that really have sort of shaken and traumatized the system and really have sort of um, just sort of overloaded us emotionally. And that comes out in so many different ways. I know we'll just talk about that, but um, that's the way in which I like to think about trauma. Do you have anything to add to that, Therese? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, and Nyla and I were talking about this last weekend. I mean, I think the vernacular and the language for trauma has expanded so much in the past couple of years, and it's become such a common um, phrase that we talk about. And, you know, I would say historically in my work and just kind of in the trauma field in general, trauma has, you know, it used to kind of be defined as like when an event, like it's, it's like a single incident that overwhelms your ability to cope and feels like you or someone else's life is threatened. That was always kind of the traditional understanding of trauma, which assumed that the trauma was like a single incident or like a series of incidents, like you know, a natural disaster or like sexual assault or something like that. But I think that mm -hmm. we've really expanded that out, right? Because, you know, when you think about like um, poverty as trauma, immigration as trauma, racism as trauma, these are pervasive, insidious, and there really isn't, and there really isn't like an end to it necessarily. And that end is unpredictable. So I think that, you know, the elements of mm -hmm. trauma, which are really about like a lack right. of control, a sense of helplessness and a sense of chaos. I think that um, is somewhat unilateral across the different trauma types, but I think that again, we've expanded trauma to include other types of trauma that are ongoing. Right, exactly. So let's talk about that a little bit, um, racial trauma. So what, what, do, what does that mean exactly? I mean, 
we're all part of the black community. We we understand what is going on, what racism is, but how is that trauma? How do you explain that? You know, I'm trying to think about the most comprehensive way because I think that it is so it's such a a heavy mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. combination of words, but in short, um I think racial trauma is the emotional injury of experiencing consistent and persistent um one, racial inequality, but also flat out aggressions towards you based on your racial identity, um, violence as a result of your racial identity to you or to your community or um, the people that you love, um, the systems that pretty much stagnate you and how just systemically how racism comes in to sort of limit the way that you can move and operate in the world and the sustained impact of experiencing all of those things and the ways that we then behave as a result of experiencing um, that mm-hmm. as a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that definition. I think that's really, um, that's really comprehensive. And I, you know, just to add a little bit to that, I think that, you know, when we, when we talk about trauma, you know, I think the, when we use that word, I think the assumption is that it has to be like, something that completely overwhelms you and, you know, you um, are running for your life or something like that. And, you know, racial trauma can be very covert, right? And it can be that persistent gaslighting, the persistent microaggressions. Um, And I think that I actually almost look at racial trauma as similar to I look at domestic violence um, victimization. Because, you know, the, the lack of accountability, the gaslighting, the sense of entitlement, the need for power and control. I mean, I think all those elements are there um, when you are, mm-hmm. when, when we're talking about racial trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we, when we talk about racial trauma and how it affects Black people, what are some of the manifestations of that that we would see, that we would... Um, be needing to look out for? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, beyond some of the more uh, blatant examples of violence, right, of like physical violence, um, you know, like what we obviously the murder of George Floyd, that's like a perfect example of that physical manifestation. Um, I think it also the way that it shows up primarily um, in myself, or even with my clients is as like is a persistent sense of self-doubt because of the like continual gaslighting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, especially like in corporate mm-hmm. America, I hear about this all the time where, um, you know, like pass over for promotions yeah. or the snide comments or the having to work so much harder or being asked to, you know, do tasks that are completely out of scope, right? Um, or being singled out or not being invited to these things or like, mm-hmm. you know, being like, especially now, like being the poster child for diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. and the expectation of having to, you know, be the voice of, you know, black people when you are going through a very lived experience mm-hmm. of racism. Um, these are all ex- examples to me of, of racial trauma. And it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be like so 
overt, right? But it still is really um, is really damaging and can cause that sense of like, what is what is real? What is actually happening? Mm-hmm. Is this? Do I have a right to feel like this? Is this actually what I think it is? Those types of things. Yeah, yeah. I would I would also echo that, um, Therese, in saying that there are tons of ways that this manifests. And I think with trauma, we all know that people experience it and also react to it differently. And everyone's, mm-hmm. while we know that there are some common ways that we may react to trauma, um, there are some very specific nuanced ways that we do across cultures, yep. but also just individually. Um, but I think two things that really stand mm-hmm. out to me in that is the impact on our self-esteem and self-worth um, and being, mm-hmm. of course, in environments that are microaggressive or aggressive to you, um, environments that do gaslight you, um, there can be this sort Mm -hmm. of pervasive feeling of not being enough and always trying to strive and sort of overwork yourself in being seen and being heard because in these environments, they don't see you at all. They don't acknowledge you at all. Right. Um, right. And then also this feeling of helplessness as a result yeah. of that. Like I love, Therese, that you brought up what mm-hmm. this feels like for a lot of people in corporate America. I, I talk to so many people of color working in corporate and just the lack of acknowledgement, even this week that they have seen from their employers, from their colleagues, has been overwhelming. And to then have to experience this this entire week and then be pushed into an environment where you have to pretend like nothing ever happened, that you're still, you know, um, going to meetings and you're still, you know, trying to bust out reports. That is so invalidating to a person's experience. Um, And those feelings of helplessness just just sort of arise because it's like while the world may be changing, you know, in my world, it seems like nothing has happened, nothing has changed, and I still have to operate in this way that is so um, in opposition to what's really happening in my life. Right. And yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely. And I think, you know, just to add on to that, I think, um, you know, when you think about our stress responses, like our nervous system and our stress responses, like most people hear about, you know, fight, flight, freeze, right? But there's also Mm -hmm. submit and attach. So there's five, fight, fight, freeze, submit, attach. And Mm -hmm. Um, I bring that up because I think that, you know, when I've had conversations with folks about this, you know, um, some people are kind of like, especially like, you know, people who don't have the lived experience of racism and you, you know, you tell them about a microaggression that you've experienced or someone else's experience are like, well, then why don't they just speak up? Why don't they just fight back? Why don't they just call it out? And it's like, that is such a privileged experience to be able to, you know, to speak up in that, in that sense. And I think that a lot of people when they are experiencing microaggressions tend to kind of submit, tend to kind Mm -hmm. of act like, you know, put their head down, act like it's not happening. I mean, and I, I don't know if you've ever been in big groups where this is happening, but it's so, it's so upsetting, you know, when, um, when those microaggressions are happening and people just get really Mm -hmm. quiet. Right. And to me, that is, that's also a form of, that also can be a form of violence, right? That, that silence, that lack of acknowledgement. And I think right now, part of the reason why the, you know, the white silence is so hurtful is that it's not naming mm-hmm. the experience, right? It's not like saying we see and we hear your pain and, and the trauma that you're going through. It's literally saying nothing, which is saying, it's mm-hmm. is saying something, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you both. Um, so uh, you both mentioned um, collective trauma and with, with everything that's going on right now that we're all um, 
I feel like we're all at like a heightened sense of aware awareness of our um our mental health and um just being at home because of COVID and kind of like facing everything um in a way where there's less distractions. Um we're we're a little more aware of how we are feeling. So I wonder um what is what do you what do you mean by collective trauma exactly? Um, now that we have talked about trauma specifically and racial trauma, what what does that mean? Collective trauma. Hmm. You know, collective trauma for me means the experience of a particular group of people um, based on the events or experiences of their lineage, right? And for many groups, I mean, obviously for um, Black people, that has been slavery, that has been colonization, that has been all these things. And really for any group that is non-white, because we have seen white supremacy reign over the world. Um, so experiencing that and what that has done to the collective state, right? For example, when you think about the way that um, slavery had impacted Black Americans, right? These are things that are consistently brought up again and again and again, no matter how many generations we are removed from the actual time when we were actual slaves, we still have this trickle down impact of what it was like in that time. And then also all of the, all of the events that happen even in between the time of being enslaved and then being free in quotation marks, right? And so how those things then went into impact, not only the mindset, but also the ways that in all ways, whether that be mentally, physically, and emotionally, that we were able to show up based on the fact that we were actively being traumatized throughout that time and how we have continued to pass that down. And then now what does that look like for us right now in this particular generation, right? Or in any of the generations that are still present with us, mm -hmm. right? What does it look like for us to have to be still processing the events of the past and how is it showing up in our active lives today? And when we can see the patterns and we see themes come up, that to me is what collective trauma mm -hmm. looks like. Mm -hmm. and, and what kind of what kind of patterns do you um, do you mean? Patterns yeah. such as, for example, this um, internalized white supremacy. Right. In the way that we have internalized anti-blackness in many different ways, and it comes out in so many nuanced ways, mm -hmm. whether it is our um, tendency to be hypercritical of things that are innate of black culture. Right. Or in the way that we may tend to um, demonize things, not humanize mm -hmm. each other um, and demonize that. I think that is really the biggest example that I see culturally. But then also just our sense of self-esteem, our sense of worthiness, our sense of, of feeling that we are capable and able to move forward in certain ways. Um, I think that impact on our self-esteem, not that this is something that happens, you know, to necessarily mm -hmm. everyone, but that collectively that has had an impact on the way that we see ourselves and how we then will show up. And oftentimes mm -hmm. it looks like us striving for black excellence all the time, right? Because we didn't have an option to be mediocre. And it, as someone so beautifully said, you know, until we are able to just be like 
um, until we're able to be basic, we're not liberated, oh, wow. right? Because we see that everyone else in every single group is able to be basic and that be enough. And they still strive and they're still able to have a life. Mm. But we have to strive for excellence in all things all the time because there's so many things that just that basic is not enough for us. Mm-hmm. We can't mm-hmm. have those same things if we are just existing. We have to be exceptional. Right. I think that is so, yeah. yeah, that is so powerful, everything you just said. And I think that it also shows up in just some of the, of the symptomology that's similar to PTSD, right? When you think about mm. post-traumatic stress disorder, there's four clusters. There's re-experiencing, which are like nightmares, flashbacks, et cetera, avoidance numbing, you know, which is literally like, I'm not going to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Hyper arousal. That's the ease. That's the being on edge, easily startled. And then the negative alterations in cognition and mood, which are the more hypo arousal depressive symptoms. And you Mm -hmm. think about what people have been saying that they've been going through after witnessing this murder, which again is a Mm -hmm. trauma, another trauma. Right. Um, and a lot of people are saying like, I can't sleep. I'm, I'm having a lot of difficulty concentrating. I, uh, I can't even focus. Like I can't stop thinking about it. I don't want to think about it, but I can't stop looking at the news. Um, mm-hmm. And then even before this, you know, it's like, how do people, how do black folks feel around police in general, mm-hmm. right? That hypervigilance that easily startled, those are trauma responses, right? Yeah. Like, even being in like a corporate boardroom, same thing, right? Uh, the, the being on edge of feeling really like, you know, like it's like what Anayla saying, like, I have to make sure I am like on point a thousand percent because I don't have the luxury of not being like that because in general, I might not feel safe. Yeah. I, I literally, yeah. every time I see a police officer, whether it be just like a benign situation or not, like a parade, for example, with my daughter, I always feel tense, mm-hmm. like walking by like I'm always watching them and making sure like I'm gonna be okay yeah and just being around them yeah and I I never I never thought of that as like a Mm -hmm. a response to trauma well if you think about like you know again the body the body tells you everything right so like if you if you really start to think about the people in your life and the people that you interact with who are the people that you really feel a sense of ease with and who are the people that you're kind of clenching Mm -hmm. A little mm-hmm. bit around you know that's information for you that's showing you mm-hmm. that i don't actually feel that safe right and that mm-hmm. and that to me is such a point like a poignant example of a different experience of police in this country yeah yeah absolutely yeah. i think even more recently you can see how um how viscerally people react to being pulled over Right. Like my friend, she had a a flat Mm -hmm. tire and she was like, you know, pushing her car with her girlfriend and she's trying to get it to, you know, on the side of the road. And then the cops pull up next to them. Right. And this is late at night. And all of us, obviously, like the fear just comes up when you see, oh, okay, I'm in this situation and I'm not even Mm -hmm. doing anything wrong. And I'm afraid. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm actually in need of assistance and I'm still scared. So just thinking about collectively and she has her herself has never been um, victimized by officers. She has never been brutalized by police, but she's been seeing it Mm -hmm. so much. We've collectively experienced it so much that immediately when you see an -hmm. officer, you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. this something might happen. That is that Mm -hmm. response 
to mm-hmm. seeing these things. Yep. And that's where that trauma can manifest itself. Absolutely. Right. And I think that, you know, even going mm-hmm. up a generation, right? Like epigenetically. Wait, what did she just say? I'm going to need Therese and Naila to explain exactly what that means. But essentially, it pretty much means that like our our genes are like influenced by our um, by our environment. And specifically, like with our mother, you know, we kind of carry like essentially like we carry the trauma from them, like through the womb. Um, and I think they've done a lot of studies on this with um, with Holocaust survivors and other like collective trauma survivors and just how. Uh, the the children of of um, these survivors of trauma are more susceptible to anxiety and depression, um, et cetera. And there could be a lot of different factors for that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I totally agree with um, that. Essentially, um, it means that our experience has the ability to change and modify our genes. Right. So we can be living a very typical existence, whatever typical or normal looks like. And then we can experience things, a series of things um, that can then have such an impact that it literally starts to change and restructure how our genes will then activate throughout our our, um, you know, without throughout our bloodline. Thank you for explaining that. Right. Yeah. So if you think about it from like, you know, from the. From, and again, this is like, you know, this, this field is somewhat newish. So there's not like a ton of, ton of data about that. Mm-hmm. Um, although there are active studies going on. But I mean, if you think about that, just from the pure, just coming from, you know, descendants of the transatlantic slave trade, right? And then, and then, you know, slavery, reconstruction, Jim Crow, mass incarceration. I mean, it's like, it, it hasn't stopped, really. <laughs> you know, it hasn't stopped. Yeah. Um, you right. know, and it, even with the civil rights movement, right? Like police brutality was one of the main, you know, catalysts for that movement. And here we are, you know, yeah. how many years later, right? The things that our, that our parents went through. So mm-hmm. I just say that to say that beyond like, you know, even if you come from that, it's also like the trauma is still happening. And most of us have experiences. We talk to our elders of their experiences of, you know, racial trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is really something that's very deep within our within our history. Hey, guys, Aaron here. So that concludes part one of the moving through racial trauma episode. In part two, we'll talk a little bit more about healing and coping strategies and if healing is even possible. So check that out. Find it in the episode listings labeled part two. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.